morning, Philippians chapter 4, looking at verses 14 through 20. Today's message is the 23rd message since October that I've preached from the book of Philippians. And some of you might be grateful, it is the second to last one too. Second to last one next week will be the, the wrap-up of the book of Philippians. I don't know, it's been, it's been like a friend to me the last six months. It's been, it's been good to learn. You always learn more teaching than you do even learning. So going through Philippians has been wonderful. Next week we'll also have a special guest with us, Matt Eichhorn, will be dramatically presenting for us next Sunday morning the entire book of Philippians from memory. So don't miss that. Ask him to do that because it puts the whole book into its scope for us. Because we've kind of you know, looked at it in little sections. Then to be able to see it presented in one big swath will be helpful for us as we think back over the things that we've learned in the book of Philippians. So, 23 messages, and it's taken me 23 messages to get to the topic that we have today. And any good pastor probably would have gotten there much more quickly, but, uh, but here we are. And that topic is giving. And, and whenever a pastor brings that up, it's probably customary to kind of do the whole... Right? I cover this today not because, you know, hey, I've heard something going on or because, you know, there was a, there was a little bit of talk going on. No, it's because that's where Scripture takes us. In Philippians 4, 14 through 20, we see Paul here gives this description of what the Philippians did for him through the gift that they gave for the gospel ministry. The other thing I want to make clear is that I don't apologize for preaching on the topic of giving. Because that's part of the whole counsel of God. So it's not an apology to preach on this topic. It is where scripture takes us this morning. So hopefully through Philippians 4 verses 14 through 20, we'll be able to reintroduce ourselves to some principles regarding the giving that we are to do. And some principles that will guide the spirit of giving that we are to have. That we see in scripture. So let's read together Philippians 4 verses 14 through 20. Paul says, notwithstanding, or maybe nevertheless, ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full. Having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Last week, you'll remember that in verses 10 through 13, we discussed the contentment that Paul has in Christ and in what Christ had provided for Paul. And Paul basically said, I am content in Christ whether the gifts come in or whether they don't. But with the first phrase of verse 14 here, Paul clarifies that though he is content in Christ, he's also extremely grateful for what the Philippians have given to him. Because think about it, if it stopped at verse 13, it would have sounded like, well, thanks for your gift, but actually I'm content in Christ. 
almost like he's ungrateful for their gift. You can kind of hear that where, yeah, hey, I, you know, I can do all things through Christ. Thanks for the gift, but I can do all things through Christ. So it could come across if he wasn't careful as if the gift that they gave was unnecessary or unappreciated by Paul. Is the kindness and care of God's people ever unnecessary? Because, well, Christ will take care of those people. No, absolutely not. Because God most often cares for his people through his people. That's true. How many times have we ever gotten cared for as a, like a lightning bolt out of the sky type experience? No, most generally speaking, we are cared for, God cares for his people through his people. He provides for those he loves through the kindness of others that he loves so that all those he loves will be content in Christ whether they are the giver or the receiver. And you've seen that play out in your own lives, I know. Could be through an encouragement, could be through a card, a prayer, a gift, a visit, a meal where God uses his people to care for his people. That's why Paul says this in verse 14. He says, notwithstanding, nevertheless, you have well done. He says, thank you. Good job. You have done well. Like an overcooked steak. You're well done. You've done well. Thank you for doing this. And then in the end of verse 14, through the rest of verse 19, we see four headings that will guide our conversation here this morning, guide our thoughts here. Verse 14, the heading is fellowship. Verses 15 and 16, we'll see faithfulness. Verse 17, fruitfulness. And verses 18 and 19, fullness. And under each one of those headings, I want to provide a, a principle to apply to our giving. A principle that we see in the Philippians that Paul accentuates here from them that we then can apply to our own giving as a part of our worship to God. Verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, you have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. The first heading here is fellowship. Verse 14, fellowship. The word translated there at the end, communicate, in verse 14, is the Greek word, sunquenenasantas, I think. And it means to be connected or to participate. To be connected to something. To participate with something. Paul says you have communicated, or in essence you have connected with me regarding my affliction, regarding the advance of the gospel. That word there, communicate, is very similar to the Greek word koinonia, which we see in chapter 1, verse 5, where he says for your fellowship in the gospel. Your connection with me regarding the gospel. Koinonia is one of those Greek words we hear every so often. That's what it means, that fellowship that connectedness, that participation with the gospel ministry. And Paul is saying to the Philippians, by giving this gift, the Philippians had entered into a partnership, a fellowship with Paul for the advance of the gospel. They said, we want to partner with you to spread the gospel in Philippi and in the rest of this area and in the whole world as well, as Paul's influence would have worldwide spread. And here we see in verse 14, under this heading of fellowship, we see a principle for our giving. And here it is, if you want to write this down. It, the first principle we see is this. Giving should be part of our active partnership with the gospel ministry. 
Our giving should be a part of our active partnership with the gospel ministry. Think about it. For your giving, through the resources that God has given to you, what are you partnering with? You flip on the TV for any moment of time or you scroll through Facebook and you will be bombarded with organizations to partner with. And what you do with your money is between you and God, but I give this warning, be careful because a lot of organizations that will ask you for your money will not have anything to do with the gospel endeavor. And they will be out there, political parties and the SPCA and the Red Cross and the Habitat for Humanity and anybody's GoFundMe page if they happen to start on Facebook. And my warning is that since we see here a principle of partnering with the gospel with our giving, be careful that we're not wasting resources for non-gospel endeavors. Quite a few weeks ago we talked about uh, giving to help the people in Ukraine. And we wanted to point the church towards two organizations that help people but also share the gospel. That was Samaritan's Purse and the Slavic Gospel Association. Because they are going to come along and meet people's needs, but first and foremost, they are there to present the gospel to people. And so with our giving, be careful that we are partnering with not just anything that, that, that flies our way, but we're partnering with the gospel. In the, in the book of 3 John, 3 John verse 8, the apostle John says that by receiving and giving, or excuse me, receiving and caring for those who spread the gospel, you become a fellow helper, quote, fellow helper to the truth. Isn't that a good way to put it? That when I partner through giving, I partner with somebody, that I become a fellow helper to the truth. And so by our giving, we are connecting ourselves, as Paul's saying here. We are <coughs> fellowshipping with and participating with the advance of the gospel. That's something to get excited about. As the gospel goes out, I have a part in it. And this is actually what Paul is most excited about. He was less excited about the actual gift that they gave him and more excited about the spirit behind the giving. This spirit, this idea of partnering with Paul, that's what he was excited about. Because think about it, the money that they gave him, and honestly, we don't know exactly what the gift was that the Philippians gave to Paul. I'm assuming there was some money involved. We don't know how much it was, but even no matter what amount of money it was, it would eventually run out, right? But what is it that would last in the Philippians is the spirit through which it was given. The spirit of giving, the partnership, the fellowship, the striving together for the faith of the gospel, that the Philippians have demonstrated by giving them this gift, that's what will stick long-term. And that's what Paul's excited about. Our four-year-old son, Gideon, he loves to vacuum. Loves to vacuum. We got the vacuum out. Daddy, I want to do it. Or he'll go and get the vacuum out. He's terrible at it. Absolutely terrible at it. The core looks like it got run over by a lawnmower by the time he's done. But the spirit is there. The desire to help. And I don't want to squash his spirit of helping by saying, you've done a terrible problem. <laughs> I want to encourage that spirit because I want that spirit to last long term. And hopefully the skill will come along eventually. That's the same thing Paul's saying here. Hey, through this, I'm excited about the spirit of giving. 
And through what Paul's saying here, we see that, that the spirit of giving and the actual gift that the Philippians give, we see through that the physical and the spiritual dimensions or nature of giving. So I want to talk about both. They're both important. So the Philippians gave Paul a tangible gift, a physical gift. It was something Paul could hold in his hands. And that's essential. Because our giving is not mystical. Ooh. It's not, you know, good thoughts and good, good, uh, good, good ideas and good wishes are going your way. Those are only so helpful. Right? The Philippians didn't send Epaphroditus 800 miles away to tell Paul, we're thinking about you. No, they sent him to give him a gift. So they gave a tangible gift from a spirit of generous giving. And you have to have both. There has to be both. Because a spirit of giving with no tangible gift is pretty pointless. Right? So those half the spiritual and physical dimensions of that have to work in partnership with each other. So in verse 14, we see the, faith, the, the fellowship that the Philippians have, the partnership with the gospel that the Philippians have. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. We see our next heading to help us out this morning is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Verse 15. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia... No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. So here Paul is writing, one of the reasons Paul's writing Philippians is to thank them for the gift that they gave through Epaphroditus. But you know what? According to these verses, it wasn't the first time they'd done it. They had given several times, repeatedly. Verse 15, Paul says, in the beginning of the gospel, you communicated with me concerning giving and receiving. What does that mean, beginning of the gospel? What that is is Acts 16. When the gospel first came to Philippi, the Philippians got together and they said, Paul, we're, we're helping you out as you go from here. We're going to give you a gift to go from here and spread the gospel other places. Then verse 16 says, when Paul arrives in Thessalonica, they sent him another gift, once and again, potentially two more gifts while he was in Thessalonica to support the spread of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 9, 2 Corinthians 11, 9, Paul says that while he was preaching in Corinth, it was the churches of Macedonia, which would have included Philippi, that sent him a gift and supported him in the ministry there, because honestly, Corinth wasn't doing what a great picture here. The Philippian church was giving so that Paul could bless not just their own church, but other churches as well. That's a, that's a model to follow. It got me thinking, and I don't know the answer to this question just yet, but how can we as a church be a blessing to even other churches also, like the Philippians do? Still talking about the Philippians, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4, our scripture reading earlier, it says it was the churches of Macedonia, once again including Philippi, that put together a collection for the suffering saints in Jerusalem. So we see at least four, probably more, specific instances where the Philippians had given to the advance of the gospel. Given for the gospel. What a testimony 
of consistent giving that the Philippians had. In fact, Paul says that the Philippians' testimony was better than anyone else, any other churches. So where do you see that? Verse 15. He said, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. You are the only ones that supported me in the gospel ministry right at the beginning. When I left Philippi, it was it. Now, we know that Paul was a good preacher, right? Apparently, he wasn't a very good fundraiser. Apparently, he wasn't very good at deputation. Because he says, the only church that gave to me to help support my ministry at the beginning was you guys. Here's the principle. Here's the principle for our giving today. We see this through the Philippians, and Paul points it out. Our giving should be done through thoughtful, planned consistency. Thoughtful, planned consistency. They gave when he was in Philippi. They gave when he left Philippi. They gave when he was in Thessalonica. They did it again in Thessalonica. They gave when he was in Corinth, and they gave to the saints in Jerusalem as well. There was a pattern here a habit that they have started in their lives. And I think that's a principle we can, we can take. Our giving should be done through thoughtful, planned consistency. I want you to think about this in your own life. What are the things in your life that you do well? I'll give you two seconds to think about it. Okay. Why are those the things that you do well in life? Why are those the things that you do well in life? I dare say that the things that you do well in life you do them well because you practice them and you participate in them consistently. Granted, probably because we've developed habits and patterns in those things, therefore we've developed the ability to do them well. And that should be no different for our giving. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2, Paul instructs the Corinthians to contribute to a collection for the saints on the first day of each week. He says, put together a collection to help the suffering saints on the first day of each week. And that brings up a question. Does giving consistently mean that I have to do it on the first day of each week, every week, or maybe even more than that, every day? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. The pattern of consistent giving for each one of us will look a little bit different. Everyone's retirement funds disperse a little bit differently. Everyone gets a paycheck a little bit differently. So consistency as far as this time and this place and at this time, that's going to look different for everybody. But this is what I do know. I know this. The things that we don't do consistently, we often don't do. Right? The things that we don't do consistently, we often don't do. Our giving should probably not just be a, a one-off emotional response to an especially heartwarming plea at a certain point of the year where we kind of get stirred up just enough to pull the right strings and do it then. Do you remember about 10 to 15 years ago there was this fundraising commercial by the ASPCA and Sarah McLaughlin got on there and she sang in the background in the eyes of an angel and this whole time there was these pictures of, of puppies. Anybody remember this picture? Did this commercial? These puppies that, you know, adorable puppies that have been abused. And you, and you watch that commercial and it was, it was heavy. The voiceover that was happening, you see these pictures, and you get to the end of it and it's like, man, I feel like I'm abusing puppies if I don't give them. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like, man, I, I am 
stirred by this. But here's the point. Christian churches and organizations shouldn't have to do some heavy-hearted, emotional tugboat routine to try to drag something out of mature believers. It shouldn't have to happen. Why? Because mature believers realize that what God has commanded us to do, he has also expected us to do well. And that's true with anything in life. What God has commanded us to do in Scripture, he also expects us to do very well. So remember that principle of thoughtful, planned consistency. What may be even more astounding regarding the Philippians' consistent giving is this. They gave consistently even when they shouldn't have. What do I mean? Even when they were in great distress and suffering of themselves, they were consistent. Go in your Bibles back to our scripture reading. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verses 2 and 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul writes this regarding, it says in verse 1, the churches of Macedonia. Once again, that would have included Philippi. He says, regarding Philippi and those other churches, verse 2, how in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. What's he saying? Even in great trial, affliction, and deep poverty, they still gave even beyond what they should have been able to give. There was a faithfulness and a consistency that was there even when they were struggling themselves. You know, most people wouldn't have that attitude. They wouldn't. Most times the attitude is this, I'll do it when I'm better off. No, you won't. People don't work that way. Because we establish habits whether we're well off or not. And those habits often stay with us for a very long time. Here, the Philippians, even when they were struggling, they did not just look inward and say, woe is me, we're in a terrible spot. They looked outward. They kept their focus outward, and God blessed them because of that. I, I think as I was thinking through this, this principle, a, a few months ago, we saw a terrific example of that very thought, that, that keeping eyes outward instead of just inward. We saw a terrific example of that in our own church, and that was the work thing. Going through the loss of and now there was still, we all saw a desire to bless and to strengthen others. Just a week before Betty died, her dad passed away. She lost her mom in 2014. Her dad passed away. few weeks after that, having gone through their own thing, Heather wrote Andrea Clark. And she said, I'm taking you to the throne of grace with me. Amen. So that you would be helped as well. That's
not just look inward and say, I wish somebody would help me. I wish I, you know, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. But to think there are people that I still need to bless and help. That was the Philippians. That even in their own time of grief, in their own time of poverty, they kept the focus outward, not inward. Granted, during difficult times, it'll look a little different, right? That faithfulness will probably look a little different, but it will still be there. And we will all go through it at one time or another. If it hasn't come yet, get ready. We'll all go through it. And whether we look inward or outward, will be a big view, will provide a view of our spiritual maturity. Verse 17. Look at verse 17. We see our third head. <clears throat> Paul says fruitfulness here. Verse 17, our third heading, fruitfulness. He says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So here in verse 17, Paul offers kind of another qualification to his statement. Because he doesn't want the people to think, I'm, I'm congratulating your giving because I just want you to keep giving to me. Right? Hey, thanks for your gift. It was wonderful. If you could keep it coming, that'd be great. That's not what he's saying. Some people would say that. There's a lot of popular prosperity preachers of our day that constantly talk about giving. Why? Because that's exactly what they want is money. Not Paul. He says, it's not because I desire a gift. Remember, he says, I'm content in Christ whether the gifts come or not. He says, it's not because I desire a gift. Instead, it is this reason. The reason I'm so excited about your gift is not because I am the beneficiary of it, but because you are the beneficiary of your gift. And what do you mean? Fruit that is credited to your account. Paul says, that's why I'm excited about the gift. Well, he said, what is the fruit that abounds to your account? What's the fruit here? It's what Jesus called in Matthew 6, verse 20, treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. That's what he's referring to here. Paul says that the Philippians' generous spirit of giving has credited to their heavenly bank account, as it were, the greatest treasures that you can have, ones that moth and rust do not destroy or thieves do not break in and steal. Eternal rewards, heavenly rewards. And herein lies another principle for our giving. Under this heading of fruitfulness, we see this principle. Giving should be motivated by eternal rewards and not earthly rewards. Giving should be motivated by eternal rewards and not earthly rewards. And the Philippians demonstrate that. We are to give not for the earthly recognition that some people do. A name on a building. You know, a political favor in return. Some applause in front of a group of gathered people. That's not to be our reward. Jesus said people that give like that, they have their reward. It just happened. The applause. That's it. Instead, he says, you are to give to build up an eternal storehouse of treasures that actually matter and won't fade away. These are the ones that actually last. Are your treasures in heaven or are they all here? Are we building up treasures in heaven? Or are we keeping them all here? Paul says he desires fruit to abound to their account. 
a spiritual fruit basket in all of our lives that is constantly adding fruit? Or is it pretty easy to see the bottom of the basket? There's not much in it. Now, Kent Hughes said this, and I'll let you decide if it's too harsh or not. He said this. I didn't say this. He did. If we are not giving to the gospel ministry, we have no part in it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we do with our resources is a window into our souls. What does God see when he looks in your window? A heavenly opportunity, <coughs> eternal rewards, partnering with the gospel is what should motivate our earthly giving. Verses 15, excuse me, verse 18 and 19, we see the fourth heading here, fullness. Fullness. Paul says, I have all. And abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The heading for these two verses is fullness. And in these two verses, we see two more principles for giving. I want to kind of step back here and think of the whole book of Philippians, especially this part of it here. Where in the book of Philippians did Paul say what and how much the Philippians gave him? He didn't. He never says, this is what they gave me, and this is how much they gave. Now why? Why? Throughout the New Testament, it's true, throughout the New Testament, we hardly, if ever, see the amounts of people's giving. We just don't. It's not recorded for us. Why is that true? Here's the reason, I think. The New Testament does not prescribe an amount or even a percentage of an amount for our giving. But it does describe principles to guide our giving. Let me say that again. It's important. The New Testament does not prescribe an amount that we are to give, nor does it prescribe a percentage of an amount that we are to give. But it does describe principles to guide we don't know how much the Philippians gave, do we? No idea. But we do know this. Paul had all that he needed at that time. Verse 18. I have all and abound. I am full. Meaning Paul was content. He was satisfied. His needs were taken care of because of the kindness of the Philippian church. What does that show us about the Philippians' gift? It was it was generous. Paul says, I don't have any other need. You guys have taken care of it. I don't have to worry about a side job or something else coming in. You guys have been so generous to me that God has taken care of all my needs through you. It's apparent that the Philippians gave generously, and that, not a specific amount, that is the New Testament principle that should guide our giving. Generosity. Generous. Here's the principle. Giving is to be done generously according as God has blessed us. Giving is to be done generously according as God has blessed us. It is generosity that guides our giving. That's the New Testament standard. 1 Corinthians 16.2, Paul says, Give as God has prospered you. Give as God has prospered you. 
And so once again, we have to think through this. Okay, so applying the principle of generosity will mean that each person's giving looks different, right? Everybody's going to be at a different spot in applying this principle. Giving as God has prospered you means that everybody's going to be at a different place here on this sliding scale. And here's the other part of that. Applying that principle also is between you and God. You are the only one that will know if you're being generous or not. Only one. And that's how it's designed. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give. Now I'll say this. It's between you and God. But you know, and I know, if I'm being generous or not. We all inherently know whether or not we are being generous. Based on what God has blessed us with and based on how we are giving, we know if that's generous or not. According as every man has purposed in his heart, so let him give. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 4, Paul says the churches of Macedonia gave as they were able and yet even beyond what they were able. Were they generous? Here's the next principle we see at the end of verse 18. <coughs> he says, I have all abound, I have full receiving you of Paphroditus, the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. The Philippians' gift was well-pleasing to God. Here's the principle. Giving for the advance of the gospel is first a gift to God. It is a gift to God. It should be well-pleasing to God, a, a sweet sacrifice, acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Can I remind you of Romans 12, 1 and 2? We do not work for people, right? We do not work for people. We work to the glory of God for people. I, I do not preach. I am not to preach for people. I am to preach to the glory of God sense? Same is true with our giving. Our giving is to be a sweet sacrifice to God that is acceptable and well-pleasing to Him and in turn then beneficial for the advancement of God. That's getting our priorities straight. That I'm giving first to God. He is the audience for my giving. I don't have to do it to impress anybody else or do anything else in front of anybody. That's why Jesus said, do it quietly. Just do it on your own. Because they're not your audience. God is your audience. And here's the key. Our giving is, it is a gift to God as an echo of his gift to us. We give to God as an echo of his gift of Christ to us. Remember the very last words in our scripture reading? 2 Corinthians 9.15. It says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. His indescribable gift. What is that gift? It's the gift of Christ for us. For God so loved the world that he... He gave his only begotten son. And so our giving is a response to that gift. The fact that we have received the undeserved gift of the grace of God, the forgiveness of sins, the declaration of being righteous, of being not guilty even though we were dead in our sins. That's the gospel. That God has, has accounted to us Christ's righteousness by faith. So because that is true in our lives, we then give. Thank 
thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Our giving to God is an echo of that gift to us. And then verse 19 comes along and we see that we receive from God the blessing of being the giver. As it says, right, more blessed to give than to receive. Don't miss verse 19. Probably one of the more familiar verses, verses in all of Philippians. He says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Don't miss this promise. And I wonder, think through this with me. I wonder, did the Philippians give so generously to Paul that Paul realizes they may now be in need? They were so generous even though they were in poverty, that Paul realizes they may have actually put themselves in need because they were so kind to me. And so he provides this promise in verse 19. He says, my God shall supply all your need. Were they so generous and kind that they actually put themselves into more need? And Paul comes along and says, thank you, and remember, my God will supply all your need through the abundance of his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's saying, though because of your generosity you are in need, God will supply that need. What a promise. What a promise, right? But be careful with this, because this is one of those verses, like we said last week with 4.13. It's one of those verses we can rip out of context, and we just say, oh, God will provide all my need no matter what I do. See, he said it right there. No, notice who the promise is for. Who did he give the promise to? He gave the promise to the generous Philippians. People who are generous. That's who the promise is for. It's not a blanket statement to be claimed by any John Doe Christian who is actually a Scrooge and a miser. Well, I don't have to give anything, but God will supply all my needs through, through his riches in Christ Jesus. Right? I don't have to do a thing, but he's going to supply my needs. No. The promise isn't for that guy. The promise is for those who have been generous for the gospel ministry. Ken Hughes says, on the basis of this verse, we can proclaim to every generous believer that God will meet every need he or she has, but to the grudging, there is no solace. The wholesale application of this great promise does not exist. It is for the generous follower of Christ alone. So don't rip this verse out of its context. We learn two things from his statement here first. You can't keep everything to yourself one minute and claim this verse as a promise the next. Secondly, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. Remember 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8? Paul says this. Coming on the heels of verse 7, where he says, God loves a cheerful giver. And then he says this. Paul sounds very similar to Philippians 4. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Here it is. And watch this. I don't, want, I don't want to confuse anybody with this. The Philippians' generosity to Paul was an echo of God's generosity to them. Subsequently, their generosity to Paul was followed by more of God's generosity to them. Did you follow that? So because the Philippians were generous to Paul... It was a pic that was a picture of God's generosity to us. But they were then generous to Paul, and God says, I'm going to be generous to you in return. 
He rewards those who trust in him. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And your needs will never be greater than God's riches. Take that to the bank. Lots of fun to Now I, I thought through how to end this message and I kind of struggled on on, you know, what to do, you know, do I tell a story or, you know, some sort of, maybe we can sing a stirring song, I don't know if we can have a clip of Sarah McLaughlin or somebody, they can sing something, you know, really stir people's hearts and, you know, take up an offering or something like that, and then the, the, the voice of John MacArthur's in the back of my head because he tells preachers, don't just stop a message, end it, so that you can stop. Oh, well, how do I, how do I end this? I don't, I don't know what to do. Well, I think the ending comes in the next verse, verse 20, just to kind of summarize all this. He says, now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It kind of this, he's talking through the Philippians gift, and he says, my God shall supply all your need. And then he says, all glory be to God. Now and forever, all glory is to be God, to be, to God and our Father. This bursting forth of, of praise that Paul has here. In our receiving of God's blessings, Unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. In, in the giving from what God has given to us, all glory be unto God and our Father forever and ever. And I think that's important for us to remember. Don't separate your giving from the worship of God. It's an act of worship. 2 Corinthians 9 7 said, Not to give grudgingly or out of necessity. For God loves a cheerful gift. Our giving is not to be a, a, a begrudging, lifeless duty. It's to be an act of joyful worship to God. By God's grace, by His Spirit, let's treat it 